Hello, everyone, and welcome to our podcast, The Love and Dating Gurus with Dr. Dan, an industry expert. I'm very excited about this show as it will bring new insight to our many listeners about the dating challenges in the 21st century and the do's and don'ts when seeking your soulmate. Everything you need or want to learn about the how-tos of dating and relationship will be discussed here. How to avoid being put into friend zone after the first date, being catfished, conned, or getting scammed, and so much more will be covered in this podcast. Toxic relationships can cause strife, breakup, or divorces. Infidelity, trust issues, troubled finances can contribute to these challenges as well. Guests appearing on our show are experts in this industry, sharing their insight about what you can encounter in any stage of dating, getting into relationship, and whatever else come next. My name is Dr. Dan, and I'm your host for today's episode. I'm a bilingual cognitive behavior psychotherapist specializing in relationship, marriage counseling using the EFT method, and post-divorce strategies when transitioning back into a single life. I provide individual one-on-one session in both French or English and also do group settings. If you need any assistance, reach out to DMV Therapy and Coaching Services at 301-325-1550 and our official website can be found at metalifecoach.online. Today, I'm very excited to have our third episode of season two, a very special guest and relationship expert, Amanda Klein. And just like every of my previous podcasts, I will leave it up to the guests to properly introduce themselves as no one can do a better job. Amanda, the floor is yours. Hello, thank you so much for having me. My name is Amanda Klein. I'm originally from New Jersey, and then I went on to Boston to study psychology. I have my degree from Wheelock College, and then I have my PSYD in psychology from Suffolk University. I worked all over in the child's care sector as a director for a major child's care company, a social worker for children with cancer. And currently I am a pre-K teacher and I own my own telehealth business that offers child development, child's counseling that I've just recently opened up. So that's a little bit about myself. Thank you so much, Amanda, for being here today. So um, as you know, this is the Love and Dating Guru podcast. So we're gonna focus primarily on people who are mature enough to date, <laughs> no children. Yes, yes I understand. <laughs> so so uh, some, some people act like children in a relationship, well, so yeah, it's a balance. Yes, we will cover that as well. So it's uh, a balance. the podcast, we discuss about your own personal experience about, uh, about to get married, and then you decide to be able to call off the wedding because of some red flags that you've experienced Um, with your significant other or your ex-significant other. Um, Can you explain to us what were the red flags and what kind of behavior did he adapt that basically scared you off? Sure. So at the beginning of our relationship, it was the Prince Charming effect. Everything about him was perfect. Everything he said was perfect. And also I experienced a new term I learned called love bombing, where they inundate you with texts and calls, social media posts, this and that, post this picture of us, post this. And I really thought this man loved me. And I really thought this was going to be my one. Mm-hmm. And We got engaged three months into the relationship, which nothing I pushed for. That is all. It was a complete shock to me. And then we started planning our wedding and life together. And that's when I realized slowly there was something off. It was started off with controlling behaviors of you need to lose weight. 
You need to wear this a certain way. You need to do this a certain way. And I thought, to be honest, around the weight issue, he was just helping me to be healthy. And it was under the guise of that, and I fell for it. But then the demands came more and more. No, you need to eat this. No, we need to do this. Your hair needs to be this. He bought me makeup and clothing, and everything had to be a certain way. Then I realized slowly into the relationship, any kind of disagreement I had with him would be very minor to like medium disagreements. It was always my fault. That's the first thing he said. Well, this is your fault. You're gaslighting me. You're emotionally abusive. And I was just, I'm asking you to clean up around the house a little more. It's not anything to that extent. And it would always be that. He told me once it was 36 years about me. Now it's all about him. So those are the red flags. And I honestly had those rose colored glasses on where I thought this person loved me. And this is how maybe he's having a bad day. And you make those excuses when you really love someone. <laughs> and then four months ago, one night, I, he said a mean comment to me and I started crying hysterically. I just couldn't hold it back anymore. And the next day he told me, I don't think this is working. Asked for the ring back, then texted me. It's off. And texted me that everything that was bad about me and this, and it was just horrific texts of 15 minutes. I said one mean thing back and it wasn't even vulgar. It was not that. And he said, well, I'm done. And he blocked me. He then took all the pictures off social media. Everything blocked me, told me I had 24 hours to move out. And that was it. And I've never seen him, never talked to him again. Oh my. And how long did this last? I mean, from the time that you guys met, Till the guy, the, the time that you left the apartment? A year and a month. A year? Oh, wow. Okay. So, yeah, the, the love bombing is becoming very, very common to be able to um, bring the person in, hold them in, control them, and basically do whatever they want with it. So, did you think that he had, based on your clinical perspective, he was a narcissistic person? I think he had several issues in the mental health field. I definitely think he was a narcissist and had narcissistic tendencies due to the fact of the controlling behavior and that it was all about him. He had a career where it was all about him. So I think at home, he had that expectation. I think his family, it's all about him. It's all about his needs and his wants. And I also think when you have a person, it's different from being stubborn than to always being right and always saying things. And I think he just had more freedom. What he would say would be very mean and not okay. And I think he really thought that he could say whatever he wants and you don't have a reaction to, which is typical narcissistic behavior. They're not empathic. They're not showing signs of empathy. They're not listening. They are all about them and their feelings. And those feelings are the only thing that matters. And I think in some cases, yes, he did consider my feelings. This was not a 24 hour thing that occurred, but it did occur often that my feelings were not on the forefront at any time, that it was all about him and his needs. So I definitely think he had, was a narcissist and had other tendencies that would make him not stable enough to be in a healthy, committed relationship. What I saw just um, sometimes when I read about the narcissistic personality uh, behavior uh, issues, I mean, there's covert, there's a uh, uh, vulnerable narcissism, um, but also there's something we call the um, vasopressin, which is basically a hormone produced in the brain that push or that doesn't allow people to feel empathy, to feel warmth towards others. 
um, this can be also one of the causes, which is a chemical imbalance in the brain that doesn't allow narcissistic people to feel anything for other people except themselves. Exactly. And that's the, my example of it, it always is the breakup. I mean, you were going to marry me the day before, but then completely cut me off and was so unempathetic about it and posting things on social media saying, well, I don't care. It is what it is. And just so quickly to move on and quickly to do those things. And I'm there canceling my wedding and had so many losses in this short amount of time. And that you knew I was hurting and you still did those things. I moved out the next day and all pictures, all gifts were thrown in the trash. So I think it just shows the mindset of a person when they do something like that, you're clearly going to go in and see those things. Mm -hmm. You know that I'm already devastated. This is less than 24 hours. And I think when you have that mindset of I'm going to inflict hurt and not, not be empathetic and not even talk to this person, I think it is a different mindset that people have. And it just shows that they have unstable behaviors that are not ready for marriage, let alone a healthy relationship, that they have narcissistic tendencies, that there's clearly something going on there that nothing I'm going to do or say is going to help that situation. You have to learn from it. And I don't think, unfortunately, has the mindset to learn from that and grow from that and realize, wow, maybe I should have just sat down and spoken to this woman. Maybe I should have not thrown everything out. And it goes back to the narcissistic behavior and the erratic behavior of all of that situation. It's just very showed me that he was unstable and, you know, through the breakup, that's what really got me through it. There was a piece of me that knew what he said to me was not right. The way he treated me and what he did was not right at the end of the breakup and during the relationship and seeing those red flags and processing through them. That's what got me through it, knowing that this person is just not the person for me, let alone stable enough to create a healthy relationship with anyone. That is so true. Did you find deep inside subconsciously um, that it was a sense of relief, a relief that the marriage didn't go through and you felt that, ah, I'm not the one who left, he left. So now I can, I can know that I'm not going to be controlled. I'm not going to be told what to do. I'm not going to be feeling like a prisoner in my own home and in my own marriage. Exactly. I think that was kind of my month after stage when you start talking to people about it more and speaking to a health professional about it and saying these things, you realize that it is not going to make a marriage. It's not going to do those things. And I did feel a sense of relief to be able, you know, to eat a cracker, to go watch a movie I wanted to do, to go even the little things to listen to what I want on the radio. I was never allowed to do that. He was things like that. So when you have those like little freedoms, it helps you heal. And when you realize that you have that back, it's a healing process. And what really helped me was I saw a therapist and I told her everything that happened and all those things. And she told me, she says, well, you're lucky you got out alive. Yes. Because people sometimes, and that shocked me. And I, you know, the entire relationship, I thought, no, no, he's having a bad day. This is how he loves me. No, he's trying to help. He's trying to help. And I made those, you make those excuses in your mind when you really love somebody. And I think I had genuine love and I don't think he had that back for me. And that was a big thing to handle and to come comprehend and do that and process that with for myself. And you know, and and, she, she, she says that you got a, you got a way on scarred is because 
yeah. uh, narcissistic people, they will not just leave you alone. They're going to go and try to bring your name down to the dirt. They're going to put your family and their friends against you, especially that if you have common friends, he's going to want, he's going to be the one saying to them, oh, she abused me, emotionally abused me. She gaslighted me. She did this, she did this. And that will always bring people to make you feel like you're the culprit and not the victim. Yes. And I think that's something I had a process too, is that to let, let go of what anything he said about me or anything he did. I received a letter saying that I sent all these vulgar text messages from like a Google text number, for example. I got a letter stating this and I go, I didn't do any of that. What is this? And when you looked up those numbers, I'm lucky I have a connection in the police department that I said, can you look up these numbers? I think, I don't know, maybe someone is doing it. Who knows in this day and age? And when I did, it was landlines from New York. And one was an organic grocery store in Ohio. Clearly not numbers that would text. Wow. So, you know, that's a that's a scary thing to receive, I think. You know, months after I'm trying to heal, I'm on a good path. And then to receive this saying, I said these vulgar things when it's really you saying it about yourself. I think that was a new level of, I think, narcissistic behavior too. You want to be at the forefront of my mind. You want to bring me down. You want to control me. And it happened in currently when I was starting to do podcasts a few months ago. Mm -hmm. So I think it was just a way to control and silence and do those things. And and it just shows his behavior and his character and versus what I'm doing. I'm just trying to help people with my story and show that even four months after a called off wedding, you can find joy in life. You can heal. You can find your healing process and finding those things for yourself and recover from the abuse and recover yourself. That is the main message I have for people that, you know, it really is a heartbreak, but then your heart starts to heal and you can discover new things about yourself and do those things. That is so true. And also, if let's see for the listeners, Amanda, um, let's try to make them understand what is the psychology behind a narcissistic person. Um, is it based on childhood trauma that created that behavior? Is it because they've been abandoned? They've been abused? They've been uh, bullied? What, what really causes someone to become narcissistic? I feel it is all those factors plus more. It could just be the abandonment issue of I didn't get attention as a child. I didn't get those things that I needed to meet my milestones developmentally and strive on and realize I didn't have a good example to be empathetic. Even in school, they teach, you know, all those skills, but I just never understood them or I never had any friends growing up. Or in my case, it was, I think, very driven by his career that he got all the attention there and then an amalgamated into this, I need attention at home. I need to do these things. I need control in my life. And again, it does harken back to a childhood trauma where you didn't have that control in some cases. Or some cases they do have a very good childhood and upbringing, but it is just something mentally off that is telling them, I I need the attention. I need the positive reinforcement. I need what I need done in my life to feel good about myself. And if that's putting someone down, who cares? If that's hurting another person and being unempathetic, who cares? And I think it's a different in childhood trauma. And then there's also some people just, just have that mindset out to do those things. And, you know, if you don't seek help for it, you know, the narcissistic tendencies are in the DSM-5. It is a clinical 
diagnosis that people I think are very unaware of. I think it's all under the emotional abuse category, mm -hmm. which that is too. But to have that narcissistic abuse that it's always about that person is a very tough thing to explain to people and where it comes from, because it could come from a variety of different issues. Mm -hmm. So. But now, do you feel that um, most people who have succeeded in life financially, uh, their career and all that, and because of their ego being above and beyond the normalcy of others, do you think that can create or that can bring someone to become narcissistic? Or does there so many other factors that can be involved into the mix? I think it depends on where your success comes from. If you work hard for your success and you strive every day to be better and are just a genuine person, that person is most likely to give back to the community, to be genuine toward others and kind toward others and empathetic toward others. I think if you let the ego go out of control and you really take in all that praise and you feel the need for that, the need for the positive reinforcement, the need to control. If you do those things, it does tend back to be you're a narcissist. You're, it's all about you. It's all about your needs. And when you are successful, sometimes it is all about you and what you want to do. And that proceeds into your personal life. Yes, it does impact it a lot. Now, um, is there for our listeners out there that some of them may go through something very similar that you did, Amanda? Um, is there a way out of narcissistic abuse? Or is it possible that a narcissistic a uh, person can't succeed in a relationship. I think that if you are in a narcissistic relationship, the first thing you have to do is realize that you are in one because I didn't until I was after and spoke to people and spoke to a mental health professional. So I think it's recognizing the red flags. And if something that doesn't sit right with you, think about it. If there's a comment made that you're not comfortable with, that you're not anything with, it's up to you to really think about that and realize hmm, maybe this is wrong. And I always say, try to open a dialogue with your partner. Say that didn't make me feel comfortable. I didn't like that comment. This is the way it made me feel. Use your feeling words, as I like to say. And look at your partner's reaction. If they are willing to sit down and talk to you, that is great. But if it's not, that's a red flag. And the way to get out of it is to say, I am leaving. This is, I'm uncomfortable with the situation and try to leave. And that's it. Because I think the main thing is when you do cut off a narcissist that you do that, they're not going to come back. They know that their source of control and their source is gone. So I think a permanent break, no contact with your partner when you're ready and strong enough to do that do that and find your support system to do that. Whether that be a family member, a friend, a mental health professional, a social worker, someone at, in your community that you can reach out to for support. I think that is the main thing that you're not feeling alone, that you're not feeling those things. But once I realized personally for myself that I was a victim of narcissistic abuse and all of those factors that happened in my relationship, I realized, wow, it's a good thing I got out. And you start getting stronger with that once you come to that realization. And when you're ready to leave, leave. That is my main thing. Leave, no contact, no anything like that will definitely help you with that. And for the narcissist, I think it's a very difficult thing because they don't realize their behavior. And I think when you don't realize your behavior and what you're doing and when you think is right, when you seek a mental health professional, they're not really going to help you. If you think you're right, you're not going to listen to them. 
So I think until the narcissist really recognizes their behavior and realizes, wow, I lost a very good woman due to this. I am losing friends. I'm not happy in my life and things like that is when they realize it. But on the other hand, they think their behavior is completely normal and normalized and those things that do come up in it. So it's a very tricky situation. And I think when they're ready to ask for help where they hit, hit rock bottom, where they have no one around them feeding their ego, that is when they seek help and realize, wow, it's an issue. It's a, it's a psychological disorder. It is. But if they don't have the tendency to be able to admit guilt of anything they do in their life and they're going to point fingers at everybody else, how can they actually take therapy as something beneficial to them? It's something that will find the therapist. That's the thing. It's when they're ready to receive the help. Or, you know, for example, my partner, my ex-partner did receive help. And it never caught, caught on because it was all, I don't believe what they're doing. I don't believe in that. Or trying it for two weeks, a therapist, and then being like, I don't think this is right for me. And it's things like that, that they do it because it's for attention, I feel. Like, oh, see, I have a problem. I'm going to someone, I'm getting help. Two weeks in therapy does not help anyone. I'm going to be very <laughs> honest. And it doesn't. It's a long-term journey and process. And I think that's the hardest thing to when you realize your behavior and it could be a family member that's very important to them pointing it out. It could be someone that they really trust and really know that they'll get help when someone does point it out, but most likely they're going to think they're right and get even mad at that person for even saying that because they don't see the flaw in themselves. They don't see that they have to work on it. So the, the telltale signs, Amanda, um, you said originally in the beginning of the conversation with the podcast, you said that the love bombing, everything started with that. Do you think that this is one of a common behavior of a red flag that may make you assume that this person may be a narcissistic person? Yes, I've actually done several podcasts where the woman has had narcissistic abuse or the male has had narcissistic abuse perpetrated to them. And that is the one common thing I hear is that they inundate you with the nice things about yourself. And that, so they know that they think when they ask you to do something or say, wear your hair this way or do this, it's already coming from a place where you really think they love them. And, and another thing is, I think in this culture, you don't want to rock the boat. You don't want to say anything wrong to break up the relationship when you think it's so good. So you do keep things to yourself and you do keep things down. I think through the love bombing and that mentality, it's a narcissistic playground. I say they're ready to ask you and to do things and to make themselves feel good when you're just losing yourself slowly in the process. Was there a lot of gaslighting all through the process in terms of like in the beginning when you didn't really, so to speak, obey, did they reverse it to you trying to control them? It was a lot of that. When every time we got again into like a little argument or disagreement, it was immediately that it's your fault and I did this right and this is what you're doing wrong and this is all of those things and that's very hard because you can't really argue with a narcissist they're going to think they're right and for the most part I would just smile and nod and be like okay I understand where you're coming from let's drop it let's do that whatever you think you know and just do it just to also end it to a certain degree you can't keep in the cycle of feeding the monster almost that's what you're doing 
And it's a very hard thing. And I always fed the monster. I'm a people pleaser. I'm a perfectionist. I fed that monster. (laughs) And I really, and you know, I really did think I was in love. I really thought this was my person and it turned out to be this. And it's very, it's a hard thing to deal with. And how now when it comes to going back into the dating scene, are you going back into it or do you feel Sl- that- <clears throat> slowly my, my toe is tipped back in the dating scene. Okay. Um, I actually recently went on a dating app okay. and he was my second match. Okay. Seeing our engagement photos. So that scared wow. me. Yeah. So that scared me away from the apps. So I'm going out more. I have a matchmaker that I hired a company. So I know that, you know, for the most part, they're vetted, they're this, they're, they're matched with you. So I'm using that. I just signed up for that. So, you know, just using those tools right now is what I'm focused on. But I definitely, even after this experience, I do want to find love. I do want to have a family and get married. It didn't not create that goal. I just, I'm much more cautious. I'm much more alert. I'm much more ready to find my voice and have found it. So when I'm ready for the next relationship, I know kind of what the signs are and what I need in a relationship as well. So how do you feel that this experience, Amanda, changed you as a person compared to how you were before you met him? It definitely made me a stronger person. I know that sounds a little cliche, but it definitely made me find my voice again and make me find myself and to go out and try new things. And I actually just started, it's the aerial hoop. It's called Lyra. I just started taking Lyra lessons. I just started finding stuff that's going to make me happy and not invest also in a person you make yourself happy not that person you feel love for yourself and you feel love for other people and things like that but finding it back for myself and finding my voice that was silenced for so long even at work I you know I have an aide in the classroom and I'm more vocal with that as well so it's finding those things also I opened a telehealth business okay as well. So I think it's just finding new ventures for myself that are not surrounded around a relationship with a man Mm -hmm. is what definitely I found. So um, does that make after an experience of that sort, and I know with narcissistic people, it leaves a very sour taste in your mouth. Um, Do you feel that you're being now overly cautious when it comes to meeting people and always focusing a lot more on looking for the red flags versus looking for the green flags. That's my fear in a relationship. I went on one date so far and I was constantly like, what, what does that mean? What is that? It, it really affects your brain. I don't think people yes. realize it. And I am proud to say I am in therapy And I see a therapist and we work through these things and we chat through these things. And I think that's my biggest fear that I am going to be so analytical of someone. I'm not just going to let my guard down and let it happen naturally and do that. That is one of my fears. It's only been four months. So I, it's very, it's very new. It's a process. And I have to admit that is one of my fears that I am just going to be so over analytical. I'm not going to see the good. I'm not going to see that. And, you know, I'm a teacher, so I always see the good in my students. I always see that. So I have that career wise that I know how to do it. But now it's just telling relationship Amanda to tell how to do it and process those things and really see that this is a good person and not be over analytical. Mm -hmm. I get a lot of hard things. 
heartbreak. It is, it is definitely. If it's something that if you were the one who left the relationship, I think the approach would have been completely different. But because of everything yes. that happened, I think you look at things with a different pair of lens, so to speak. Yes. Now, what, what would be the best advice that you that you would give to people out there that are listening and that are actually, actually going through dates, et cetera? Is there something that um, based on your experience or based on your own, uh, I would say, approach to dating nowadays? Uh, now, things change after this pandemic. So uh, what would be the best advice, uh, Amanda? I think the best advice is trust your instincts. I know people say that, that little voice in your head, that little pit in your stomach when you're talking to them online or and they're saying everything great or they're saying maybe not so things great. Just trust your instincts and also give it time. Just because the first person after a relationship that you swipe right on does not mean that that is your person to not, you know, take things at your own pace, take things at your own time, be analytical of yourself and the person a little bit, just take that time to really think about, I should not rush love, I should not think I'm 35. And I need to get married and have a child, let it happen at your own pace, take a breath. Mm-hmm. And really trust your instincts. It's a very difficult online dating world of you don't know if that that person is the person that's in their pictures, you don't know if those pictures are from 10 years ago. It is a very different dating life than what I experienced in my twenties, for example. And it's, I'm giving my hats off to anyone that does the apps. (laughs) It is very murky waters and it's a very hard thing. So I always say, trust your instincts and take your time. No one's in a, it's not a rush. It's not Tick time's ticking, take a breather and trust yourself in your judgment because you know yourself the best. Well, listeners, you heard her. Uh, <laughs> well, Amanda, that is all the time that we have for today's uh, podcast. I really appreciate you taking the time out of your very busy schedule to join us and sharing your extensive knowledge in the field of dating and relationship based on your own personal experiences. Now, the many recommendations you shared to our loyal listeners will help them better navigate through these choppy waters. Now, we hope that you've all enjoyed today's episode, and I'm also very excited about the many upcoming industry experts that we have scheduled for season two of the Love and Dating Guru with Dr. Dan podcast, filled with very valuable tips and advice, just like the one that you listened to today. My name is Dr. Dan Amzalag, and you may all stay safe, sane, and smart when searching for that special someone. Stay tuned for our next episode.